So, welcome to Rare and Remarkable Films. This is episode one. I'm Kim in Sydney and... I'm Derek in Poitiers, France. We are talking about In the Heat of the Night today. That's a uh, 1967 film directed by Norman Jewison. So this is the first episode, so we have to let you know that we will go into some spoilers on occasion. So what we recommend is that you watch the film before you listen. So if you are listening right now, you should pause and go and watch the film and then come back and listen to our discussion. Where did you see the film in Australia, Kim? I did have some difficulty finding In the Heat of the Night, but eventually I found it on iTunes. Well, that's the only place I could find it in Australia. Um, so that's why I recommend it for Australian listeners. What about you? Where did you get to see it in France? Well, France is quite different. I, I was lucky enough to be able to borrow the DVD from the local library here. They've got an incredible selection of DVDs and uh, the library had just opened again after the extended closure due to the COVID-19 crisis. So um, I sent off an email and then reserved the DVD and I could go and pick it up the next day. So France is great for that, but um, I'm surprised and, and hope people can find it uh, all around the world because it's an yeah, interesting film as we'll find out very shortly. The film was made in 1967, directed by Norman Jewison, and it's based on a book uh, by the same name and it stars Sidney Poitier and he's a homicide detective named Virgil Tibbs and also Rod Steiger. He plays the local police chief of a little town named Sparta in Mississippi. From the very beginning, race plays a big part in this film. It's really a clash of, of two main characters. The two main characters, Rod Steiger and Sidney Poitier, set against the, the racial tension and conflict of, of the US and specifically the South. It won uh, the Best Picture at the Oscars in 1967 and Rod Steiger won Best Actor. And I was actually surprised when I found out that Steiger won Best Actor because I'd always just like, my vague knowledge of this film thought that it was Sidney Poitier who won. And that's what I was thinking the whole way through watching the film. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. And then I saw while researching uh, the film that he'd won the first Best Actor Oscar, won by an African-American actor a few years earlier for a film called Lilies of the Field. Unfortunately, I haven't seen that film, but I believe his performance in that was one of the reasons why Norman Jewison wanted to work with him. Also at the time, I, I don't think there were so many big name African-American actors. Based on what I've read, the only other choice that Norman Jewison considered was Harry Belafonte, who was also very well known at the time. But in this film, the Oscar went to Rod Steiger for his work and, and not Sidney Poitier, which I'm not surprised by, in fact. I, sometimes I felt that Sidney Poitier, despite all his elegance and charm, the way he said his dialogue, sometimes I, I felt uh, was a little bit stilted or, I don't know, not, uh, not, not as natural as I would have expected. Yeah, I mean, I think Rod Steiger's performance is a powerhouse performance. And I mean, I also really like Poitier's performance, but it has more of a feeling of theatre about it definitely seems less natural whereas with Steiger it comes across as really being that character rather than playing a part which is actually interesting I was just reading that uh, he was a method actor and that he during the whole shoot didn't get out of character stayed in character the whole time and wore the, the police hat and police boots the whole time and so no wonder he came across as natural because he was really living the character. But yeah, I guess what were your first impressions when you first watched it? Well, first impressions were were really positive. I, I enjoyed the opening images, well, perhaps being a bit cartoonish in, in the, the southern diner with the diner owner or at least diner worker behind the counter and Sam Wood, the police officer, when he started cruising around the southern town, um, played by Warren Oates, a great actor in a supporting role here. 
this is before he discovers the the dead body. I really I really enjoyed those scenes. They kind of made me think of a film noir from the 50s and, and earlier in the 60s, updated of course and in color, but uh, the way the car headlights shone and swung across the the streets and the houses um, reminded me of some earlier films. So I, I thought the scene was set very well. Overall, I, I really did. I enjoyed it. It's one of those films, as you said before, that we've kind of all heard of and perhaps have ideas about. We know one or two things about. Um, we know that it's an important film in American cinema history, but maybe that's all we know. And so those kind of expectations can perhaps be easily let down. But for me, that wasn't the case. It's far from a perfect film. I don't think such a thing exists. And it's even far from being a masterpiece, I'd say. But uh, it's definitely an entertaining murder mystery, um, sort of crime melodrama set in a really interesting locale driven by its two main actors, as well as a really solid supporting cast. I mentioned Warren Oates, but there are a few other supporting character actors that made a good impression on me. And um, I enjoyed some of the the documentary aspects, um, sort of driving around this town of, of Sparta, Mississippi, which was actually... I can't remember the state. It's not Illinois. Illinois, Sparta, Illinois. That's right. There's an interesting yeah, story behind uh, behind why they sort of filmed there um, and not in Mississippi. Very interesting. Yeah, we'll get onto that in a minute. But um, and yeah, I, I like their documentary aspects of the on location shooting. But what what did you think, Kim? I enjoyed enjoyed the watch. For me, the, the two things that really stood out was the the take on I guess the political situation on the race situation and. In the states in the '60s, um, and then the the performances and the kind of dynamic between the two main actors. It was interesting to see that what was going on in America at the time is at the heart of this film. Poitier's character Virgil Tibbs is treated like dirt by most of the the white people in the town, including initially Rod Steiger's character Gillespie, the police chief, and also the other police and, and also other people in the town. He's chased and attacked several times through the film by these white hoodlums, particularly at this point in time with the race protests or race-related protests that are going on in the States following the murder of George Floyd. This film, it's amazing how topical it is, how the the issues that it's covering and trying to address from the 60s are, are still almost exactly the issues that the States is dealing with now, which is very sad. Very sad, yes. Uh, the film actually tried to tackle these issues. Tackle, yeah, tackle, I'm not sure, but at least uh, yeah, present them on screen because I did find the, the, the treatment of race and race relations rather perhaps black and white, rather cliched um, or superficial, except except uh, in the relationship between Sidney Poitier and, and Rod Steiger and their two characters. I think um, for me, that's really the, the heart of the film. If, if I had to summarize the film, it would be like the relationship between Poitier and Steiger. That's the, the most interesting part because it's not, it's not as simple. It's not as cut and dry as all the other relationships. It starts as such and then very quickly, you know, Rod Steiger is kind of forced to to accept or to to admit that yeah, Sidney Poitier, uh, Virgil Tibbs, is a police officer. So there's a kind of a – and perhaps a higher in grade than he is and gets paid more than he does. Yeah, their their relationship is a roller coaster. My favorite scenes in the movie are where they go sort of head-to-head and, and back and forth. Sometimes Virgil Tibbs kind of has the upper hand and then within the one scene it will, will change and Rod Steiger takes the upper hand. One of the, the early scenes when uh, – Virgil Tibbs is at the train station and Rod Steiger comes to get him to come back uh, and, and work on the, the murder case. It's a, a very interesting scene. We get to see the two characters 
sort of in, in a in a long shot. They're so so far apart, and then they get sort of closer and closer. And Rod Steiger sits down on the bench next to Sidney Poitier, who kind of uh, you know leans away from him, and the, the postures are so different. And and Sidney Poitier is so elegant and cool, and and Steiger is such a uncouth, rough kind of man, and. Um, the style so completely different, but then at the end of the scene, Rod Steiger's character has has managed to to hold a little bit of a mirror up to to Virgil Tibbs and and sort of shows that um, he's not going to leave without uh, without proving himself to be better than all the all the the local white rednecks and better and more intelligent than them. So Virgil Tibbs looks a little bit sheepish as he picks up his suitcase and, and follows uh, Bill Gillespie, who's the Rod Steiger character, back to back to his police car and, and back into the into the, the murder investigation. Coming back to the race, apart from the central relationship, the others were a bit caricatural, a bit cartoonish sometimes. Sometimes in, enjoyably so, um, sometimes frustratingly so, I think. And uh, apart from showing uh, showing that these tensions exist and um, and also... Apart from the big moment where Sidney Poitier, his character Virgil Tibbs, slaps the the white plantation owner the first time a black man had hit a white man on on screen. Apart from that moment, yeah, I think some of the the race relations was a bit superficial in in the, in the film. I find actually that the plot almost to be superficial. Like I'm I'm not into the murder mystery part of the film because I don't think it's written particularly well because you can't really follow it. Like you can't kind of understand what, where the um, investigation is going. So you don't get any of that enjoyment of really good kind of murder mystery films of kind of going along with the detective and slowly working out the clues. It's just very unclear how the murder mystery is getting solved. And then suddenly there's this kind of climax, which just you just presented with, with almost no buildup. And then suddenly it's over. To me, I feel like that the plot and also a lot of the supporting characters like the murderer himself aren't fleshed out. You know, you get an idea that he's like, I guess, like a, just a bad racist, the, the murderer. He was one of the least convincing characters for me um, from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I felt maybe it was just physical that it's kind of the casting was maybe overdone, just his kind of too too obvious, too too weird or strange looking. Um, he seems very much, yeah, from like kind of pantomime theater that, uh, that character and that performance for me the again like the parts that stand out as you've said is those moments where it's just Steiger and Poitier in a room together talking these are the you know the best actors in the whole film they're, they're some of the best actors of the generation and, and they're kind of sparring off one another I read that some of their sparring was improvised as well which makes it interesting that they really kind of I guess became the character, their characters to some extent. The other characters in the film, I don't really remember. Um, I, I find them to be quite forgettable. They're all quite two-dimensional, apart from these two. Um, but but those two are just so done done well. But yeah, for me, I feel like that, um, and from what I read, that the director really wanted to make a statement about race uh, with this film. That's one of his motivations for taking it on. And that it's true that when you look at it now, um, you know, 50 years on or, or over 50 years on, that it is a quite simplistic portrayal of race issues, but it feels like my impression of the 60s and what was going on at that time with the civil rights movement was that it was rare to find Hollywood tackling these issues in a head-on kind of a way. And watching it, even though I don't know the other films that were getting made at that time, I get the feeling it's like that this is a statement film that 
almost like that it's okay if the film's not that good, but the statement has to be strong that like racism is messed up and, and that, um, you know, we're highlighting that it's messed up and that, and that things need to change, which I feel like, I feel like that it does highlight those things. So it feels like to me, a strong political film. I think it's definitely more direct in, in terms of, uh, yeah, showing the, the race, racial situation. I did see, uh, a film that was made 10 years before, I believe, I can't remember the exact year, uh, The Defiant Ones with the Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis. In that film, Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier are, are two criminals who escape from a, a prison bus that crashes. I think that's how it went. And they're chained together. They were part of a chain gang. And so they spend the film on the on the run, but being chained together. So it's kind of a two individuals, black, white. It's kind of about their relationship. Um, so but more of a microcosm of the racial situation. And uh, Is it a better film, The Defiant Ones, do you think, than this film? In terms of technical aspects, I'd say perhaps yes. Uh, yes, a better film, but less impressive, less memorable overall. One thing which I really liked was the set design of the police station because that's where it feels like at least 50% of this film is in that police station. It's just like a great, dirty, really kind of sweaty, humid space that you really kind of feel like you're there. Everything's broken. The place looks like it hasn't been painted in a couple of decades and people don't want to be in there. Like it kind of reflects the griminess of this kind of small town bigotry. What did you think of the lighting? Well, the lighting, as I mentioned before, um, in the early scenes reminded me a bit of a film noir. And, and once again, in the police station, there were other aspects of that as well. Um, other moments where very sort of high contrast, all the shadows on the wall and the, the shadows of the blinds cutting across the characters and, and projected on the wall. It reminded me as well of film, film noir. The cinematographer was um, Haskell Wexler, who uh, was actually won two Academy Awards. I think voted somewhere. I just read uh, one of the most influential cinematographers in, in American film history. I thought his work was great. I was a bit surprised to, to see, though, that the film won an Academy Award for editing by Hal Ashby, who actually went on to become a you know, very successful filmmaker in his own right in the 70s, uh, making some big and important films. But I, I didn't think the editing was great in this film. There were, there were a few continuity errors, but maybe that's more to do with the script and so on. But also just the editing itself, I, I found that some of the, the cuts at the end of scenes were just too rapid. There was one particular scene where the meeting of like the town council where I don't know who he was, but one of the characters says, um, I think Virgil Tibbs will be dead by Saturday. And he calls him the N-word. And then the cut, instead of kind of just maybe lingering a little bit, the cut was so rapid, it seemed to me as if he didn't want to let that thought sort of sink in, was in a rush to move on to the next scene before the racism, the, the terrible racism of the statement kind of um, would sink into the audience. But yeah, other moments in, in, in the action scenes, some of the, the chase scenes, the editing seemed ineffective to me uh, and, and lacking in, lacking in impact. I totally agree for the action scenes. I think that they're, they're not very good. The scene where they're chasing the, the other fellow who they think is the killer. I don't think it's shot or edited particularly well because it doesn't feel particularly dramatic. And then. As I said, the climax just suddenly is kind of dropped on you and then suddenly ends. And so it doesn't feel uh, very dramatic either. Also, the, the scene in the warehouse where the five redneck racists are surrounding Virgil Tibbs. And this is kind of a weird action scene, a weird, a weird fight scene where I think it's really ineffectual. And I think it's as much the direction as the editing because, yeah, that fight scene you know, um, it's got a, a strange kind of choice of where to put the camera to have these guys circle 
Tibbs and then, you know, not a great deal happens. And, and again, it, yeah, the, there could have been a lot more tension there where you might feel like his life might, you know, uh, be taken here, but you don't really feel that. Maybe one of the reasons why the editor won the award, which I think is good editing, is the editing of those scenes where it's just Poitiers and Steiger talking to one another. Because that's, for me, again, that's the, the main strength of the film. And those scenes, I think, are edited well because they have a lot of lingering shots on their faces where you just get to see these kind of emotions move over their faces. That's true. It's, it seems to be almost like the director isn't a great action director, but he's a, a good actor's director. And the editor maybe isn't a good uh, action editor, but he's a good actor's editor. Yeah, the action and the, and the murder part of the film, are, for me, are, are quite weak. But the relationship and those performances are strong. And, and yeah, the, the editor lingers on these small little movements on Poitiers' face quite often. And you just like looking at his face and you like seeing some of those emotions play across his face. Definitely. We, and we have to just on talk about his face and, and his eyes, which uh, at some moments are full of so much intensity. I think we need to mention the line that uh, is the famous line that I knew and I'm guessing you did before watching the film or or just at the moment when the line was about to be spoken with with that sort of intense fury by uh, Sidney Poitier. I knew it was coming because I, I don't know, pop culture, sort of a film, film culture. I knew he was going to say, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Great delivery. Yes, much much better than uh, <laughs> much better than my delivery just now. If only we could say something like that in our lives. They call me Mr. Tibbs. With your throaty, uh, throaty voice, with your cold. So let's move on to behind the scenes. So any particularly interesting stories that you found? I- well, we mentioned one earlier um, about the, the location. In, in preparing for the film and in discussions with Sidney Poitier, Sidney Poitier refused to shoot uh, below the Mason-Dixon line, you know, which is the, the historical line separating the north from the south. That's basically he refused to shoot in Mississippi because uh, apparently he had been harassed when he was with Harry Belafonte by the, the KKK in Mississippi, not, not so long before the, the, the making of, of this film. Uh, Norman Jewison managed to negotiate with uh, Poitier for one weekend of shooting in Tennessee for the cotton plantation scenes where there was only one hotel in the town that would allow the black and white crew members to stay together. And it was in that town uh, that the sheriff told Jewison you know, to keep his people in the hotel. He, he didn't want them around town. That story really kind of illuminates the, the situation, how it was at that time in, in the US, especially in the South. Yeah, it's incredible how, yeah, this is really a case of a film uh, reflecting the political issues that are going on as, as it's getting filmed and then actually affecting the filming. I was reading that the producer, Walter um, Mirisch, was having discussions with the United Artists, who was the studio behind the film, that they might not release the film in the southern states of the US for fear of sparking riots or something like that. So um, initially they didn't, although later it, it was released. Do you think the film has any had an impact on filmmaking? I mean, the filmmaking itself, the only parts which I think may have had a legacy, as I said, this was a, a very much a kind of actor's film where the actors were allowed to improvise, were allowed to inhabit those characters. I think the more obvious question, of course, is what kind of impact it had politically and, and maybe in the industry in terms of race issues. It's also a hard one because... As we've talked about, it doesn't seem like that much has changed over 50 years. It's interesting to read about the filmmakers saying that the slap where Tibbs slaps the 
plantation owner being the first time that that was shown in American cinema and to have a character like Virgil Tibbs be the smartest guy in town, the best dressed guy in town. That was the first time that a person of color had had a role like that in, in cinema. So that's really powerful. So I think there must have been an impact, but it's not like it changed everything. I think, I think you're right. But what is interesting as well, I think, is perhaps the work that some of the actors and crew went on to do afterwards. Um, Hal Ashby, who I mentioned before, he made some great films in the, the 70s. Um, I think he did The Last Detail with Nicholson. Haskell Wexler went on to film uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Next, again with Nicholson and uh, many other great movies. Um, Warren Oates, who played Sam Wood, he, he made he was in The Wild Bunch and, and made lots of other films with Sam Peckinpah um, in the 70s. So yeah, I think uh, lots of lots of great names went on to do great work uh, after doing working on this film together. One one little uh, moment I don't know if that I had at the at the beginning in the the, the, the cop car when Sam Wood uh, Warren Oates is doing his rounds um, when he has the the radio hanging from the the rearview mirror and he sort of changes the radio station. Um, and, and we hear it, the, the soundtrack is the, the music from the radio. I had just had a little uh, flashback to, to John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson um, in the car at the beginning of Pop Fiction and, and they changed the radio and uh, it's the changing the music and the soundtrack as well with the, the crackle between stations. Um, I don't know if Tarantino took that from this film, but I, I, kind of, uh, I, I saw a little connection there. That is a good mention, actually. Now that you say it, I feel like there definitely looks like Tarantino in Pulp Fiction. There looks like there could be some influence there for sure. One other thing that I, I wanted to mention before we finish, which I, really surprised me to learn um, when I was looking at the, the work that the different people went on to do, Sidney Poitier directed a film more than 10 years later, in 1980, a Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor comedy, Stir Crazy. Can you believe that? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I've- Is that good? Have I'm not sure. It? I know I've seen some of them. They did, uh, you know, four or five uh, collaborations, uh, Gene Wilder and, and Richard Pryor. Anything with those two, even if it's a terrible film, it's gotta be amazing. Yeah, I definitely have to go and, and chase up a Stir Crazy when I, when I can, as soon as I can. I've been watching a bit of Richard Pryor just on YouTube. Somehow it's come up, I think, actually, because of the race issues that are going on in the States. And I mean, his comedy, you know, this is obviously a very big tangent, but his comedy really about race, you know, that he was performing in the 70s and 80s. Wow. Powerful stuff and hilarious. Definitely. Yeah. So the, so Sidney Poitier yeah, directed uh, 1980 comedy, Stir Crazy. But I've got a feeling that Stir Crazy might be uh, yeah, a, a better place to continue your no, I'm not going to say that. It might be a, a better a better film than the two sequels that uh, In the Heat of the Night um, yeah, spawned. Um, I haven't seen them, but uh, from what I've read, they don't seem to be uh, at the same at the same level as, as In the Heat of the Night. Then there was even eight seasons of a TV series that was a, a follow-on from this from this film as well. So I'm quite curious if they continued the confronting racism aspect of it or if it just became safe American TV by then. Perhaps. That means there was a, a market for these kind of films um, of black actors on screen um, that maybe Hollywood had uh, more or less ignored or, or um, rejected uh, in, in earlier decades. So that brings us to the end of this is episode one of Rare and Remarkable Films. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be coming back to you fairly soon. Not sure exactly when with our next film from Kim in Sydney and Derek here in Poitiers, France. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you again soon. Mm-hmm.